Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 14 and verse 1. The subject of Romans 14 is issues of grace. And that's not simply the case for the verses we'll study today. It's the subject of the entire chapter. So for however many Sundays it takes us to do it, we're going to be talking about issues of grace. When I was a senior in college, my two buddies and I that have been living together for the past three years got a new roommate, and he's a preacher now. And he, in describing himself to us, I never will forget it, it was sort of intimidating. He said, I don't believe in grace. He said, I believe that everything is either black or white. And this was right about the time that the whole conservative liberal controversy was in full swing in the Southern Baptist Convention and for fear of being branded a liberal and also because I didn't understand all of the implications of a statement like that I went along with him and said something like me too me too I'm a black and white sort of guy but you know every issue is not a matter of black or white Now, I'm not denying that there are black and white issues. There certainly are. We've talked about some of them in previous weeks. Adultery's a black and white issue. Stealing is a black and white issue. Murder is a black and white issue. Coveting, lying, idolatry, polytheism, all black and white. But there are issues of grace. John MacArthur says about this chapter and this subject for that matter that these are matters that are neither commanded nor forbidden in Scripture. They are matters of personal preference and historic tradition which when imposed on others inevitably cause confusion, strife, ill will, absurd consciences, and disharmony. Issues of grace. I want to issue a warning. You ever see the warning that comes up on TV? Let me issue a warning. Not a rating warning. This isn't rated R, PG, PG-13, anything like that. But my warning is, you may not agree with everything I have to say today or in the weeks to come, but that only makes sense since we're dealing with issues of grace, right? If you are like my friend from college and think there are no issues of grace, then obviously you're going to disagree with a lot that I have to say, but even more importantly for you to consider, you will find yourself in disagreement with the Word of God. 
and this passage of which this is the subject, you may find some of the things that we'll talk about as we study through chapter 14 hard to swallow. But that's okay. So do I. I am cringing in anticipation of some of the things that I'm going to say. I'm uncomfortable with them considering the background that I come from and my own personal convictions about some subjects and some issues. But I also have a request to make. Just hear me out. Uh, don't hear me say one thing that really burns you up and turn me off. Hear me out. Even more importantly, my request would be hear the Word of God out. Today, over the next few weeks, as we make our way through all of chapter 14, hear all of it out before jumping to some rash conclusion. Well, with the warning and the request out of the way, I can't delay any longer. Let's just go to the text, okay? Beginning in verse 1 of Romans 14, thinking about the subject, issues of grace. It says here, accept anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about doubtful issues. One person believes that he may eat anything, but one who is weak eats only vegetables. And all of us meat eaters are saying, yeah, that's right. It's the weak people that are vegetables. Have I ever told you about the time that the district of the Cattlemen's Association in West Alabama had me to be their speaker? Now, why, I have no reason. I told them I'd worked with cows growing up, but really I knew very little in comparison to them. I said I do love meat and beef, if that counts for anything. But as I shared with them that night, I shared with them the story of when God and the two angels came to visit Abraham. You remember that? And Abraham served them beef. And I concluded my speech that night with, Take that, Peter. If beef is good enough for God, it's good enough. So anyway, when we read, one believes he may eat anything, but one who is weak eats only vegetables. Verse 3. One who eats must not look down on one who does not eat. And one who does not eat must not criticize one who does. Because God has accepted him. Who are you to criticize another's household slave? Before his own Lord he stands or falls. And he will stand. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person considers one day to be above another. Someone else considers every day to be the same. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat it, yet he thanks God. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. If we live, 
we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and came to life for this, that he might rule over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you criticize your brother? Or you, why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before the tribunal of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. As we make our way through this passage, and we may not cover it all today, probably won't. It's not looking good about right now. I do want to inform you that I haven't arranged this like I normally do. And that would be in a straight line through the passage. As it appears in the passage, we're going to skip around a little bit. It helps me understand it better. And I'm probably not giving you enough credit that you can understand better things than I can understand. Uh, I, I have to work things in my mind so I can understand it. I put you all in the same boat with me. And again, that's probably not giving you enough credit, but that's the way I've done it. I will cover it all. I'll cover it fully. And what we're going to do for however long it takes us, not today, but in, in terms of weeks, is look at from these 12 verses six facts about issues of grace. And that's not to mention the facts that we'll get to after verse 12 and verses 13 through the rest of the chapter, but six facts from these 12 verses about issues of grace. Fact number one, issues of grace include a number of subjects I could say it this way, there are a lot of issues of grace. That is controversial to one, as I have mentioned, who may say, I don't believe there are any issues of grace. But I'm suggesting that there are a number of issues of grace. Look at verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything, but one who is weak eats only vegetables. And then look at verse 5, the first part. One person considers one day to be above another. Someone else considers every day to be the same. I've said to you that issues of gray include a number of subjects. And in just this passage that we've read today, and in specific those two verses that I've just pointed out to you, there are two issues of gray right there. Then when we make our way down to the next passage in the scripture from verses 13 through the end of the chapter, we will find a third issue of gray that the Bible defines as an issue of gray. Not a matter of black or white. 
the first issue of grade that's mentioned in our passage today is acceptable food. What is acceptable to eat? And now I know you must be thinking that this certainly doesn't apply to us because most of us are of the persuasion that we can eat just about anything, right? And we are walking testimonies to it. But in the days of the early church, this was a hot-button issue. This was extremely controversial and very divisive among local church families. This issue of what is acceptable to eat. In verse 2, it specifically mentions the subject of meat. That there were some within the church at Rome, and you could make the argument within the church at, at Corinth as well, based on what we read in that letter who thought that anything and everything was okay to eat. You could eat meat, you could eat kosher meat, you could eat non-kosher meat, you could eat beef, you could also eat pork, you could eat fish with scales, you could also eat bottom feeders like catfish and scavengers like others that we find in the sea and in the water. There were others within the church family that would have thought that wasn't okay at all. There were some in the church at Rome and other churches like it from a Jewish background who though they were very saved, trusting in Jesus alone to save them, still felt bound to keep the Old Testament law uh, they felt that they were serving God in doing this. They were making a sacrifice in doing this. They were maintaining their Jewish identity in doing this. And so they lived their eating habits. They lived still by the Old Testament dietary laws. And they would eat only kosher meat. You invite them over when the tomatoes start getting ripe and serve them a BLT and they're going to be very offended. You invite them over for ribs on the 4th and they're going to be very offended. You take them out to a big time restaurant and order lobster for them and they're going to be very offended. And in particular, even if you serve them beef, if you had bought it down at the discount grocery store after it had been sacrificed to an idol, they would have been even more offended though it was still just beef and beef at a bargain at that. And then you had those from this early church that came from a, a pagan background and anything and everything went and people partied and people lived it up and they may have been a part of that and they had seen the waste of it all. And they wanted no more a part of that. They wanted to live more simply. They adopted an ascetic form of life. They, they swore off meat of every kind. In particular, the meats that they associated with their former idolatries. They wouldn't eat it either. Some of them were vegetarians. Thinking that it indicated a, a greater commitment to God. 
And then within the church, you had folks like us. And if it was there, they'd eat it. Let Mikey eat it. He'll eat anything. They'd eat anything. Sacrifice to an idol, they didn't care. Kosher, non-kosher, no big deal to them. Meats and vegetables, bring it all on. They had freedom to do this. It was a big deal. I mentioned that it must have been a big deal beyond the church at Rome. Paul writes about it in his letter to the church at Corinth, the first letter. And a divisive issue in that church was the issue of whether or not we can eat meat that's sacrificed to idols, or they could. And he writes about it there. You remember the story that's recorded in Galatians chapter 2? Where Peter had made his way down to the, to the people of Galatia, the church of Galatia. And they were enjoying being primarily Gentile, their newfound freedom in Christ. They were eating the way they had always eaten. They had a barbecue with ribs and pork of every kind. And Peter, this faithful Jew who had been told by God in the book of Acts, what God has made clean, you can't call unclean. He was enjoying his freedom and he was chowing down on the ribs and the barbecue and everything else until some fellow Jews showed up from Jerusalem. And Peter didn't want to be branded a liberal either. And so he wouldn't eat with those Gentiles eating their chitlins anymore. He had to come back over here and sit with the Jews and only eat the kosher stuff. And Paul saw this. And he knew that the, the people in the church of Galatia were susceptible to believing in salvation by work. So he severely rebuked Peter about the whole ordeal. Well, that's what it is. It's an issue of grace. You may have your own personal convictions about what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat. But everyone else doesn't share those convictions. A second issue of gray that comes up in this passage is the subject of special days. In particular, the Sabbath. The church at Rome would have been made up of former Jews who were now Christians, the completion of their Jewishness. Also Gentiles who had no background, no special regard for the Sabbath day, the last day of the week. These Jews would have come from a background of, man, there are laws about the Sabbath. This is a part of our being Jew or Jewish. And, and you can't do this and you can't do this. It's a holy day set apart by God. And there were Gentiles who didn't come from that background at all and they were wondering why the Jews made such a big deal of the Sabbath day. They had always worked on the Sabbath day. They had always played on the Sabbath day. They had always done anything else that they wanted to do on the Sabbath day. And their understanding of the faith was that every day was a special day to God. So who was right? This being an issue of grace indicates that neither one of them were right. Probably not an issue of right or Wrong, just an issue of a difference of opinion. That's why we would call it a, an issue of grace. In addition to the Sabbath days, they would have been divided over Jewish festival days and feast days and whether they were to observe them or not. 
And this remains a subject of some debate among the people of God today. Now most of us have moved on from any connection with the, the old time Sabbath. We're here on Sunday, the first day of the week, not the last day of the week. So at least we've made a, a move from there. And that move was made shortly after the resurrection of Christ because of its foundational status in our faith. There are some people, though, that made the connection between the Jewish Sabbath and the Christian first day of the week, and they brought with that connection all of the rules that governed the Sabbath onto the first day of the week. They would call it now the Christian Sabbath. And a lot of us were raised that way, right? Taught that way. There are certain things you can't do on Sunday. You can't swim on Sunday. You can't go hunting on Sunday. You can't go fishing on Sunday. Now, as I've gotten older, one of the things I questioned was, well, why could we go out and eat in Thomasville on Sunday? Why could we go by Walmart on Sunday? Why could we watch football in the on the television on Sunday, but we couldn't go outside and play football? I never understood that. Some of you don't understand that either. But it simply brings up the point that there are differences of opinion on the subject of the Sabbath as it applies to us on the subject of Sunday. What we can do and what we cannot do. Are we still bound by the Old Testament Sabbath laws? Paul warned the church at Galatia in chapter 4 verses 8 through 11 that by their insistence and strict keeping of the Sabbath rules that he feared they were confusing their doing of that with what it takes to be saved, and he feared that all would be lost with them. That they would have fallen from grace. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, it says that we should let no one judge us on the basis of food or drink or a day or even a Sabbath day that these were but shadows of the things to come. Some people feel like Sunday's the day we worship. But outside of that, we're free to do whatever we'd like to do in the Lord. Others feel very strongly about that. If somebody tells you the preacher cuts his grass on Sunday, they are a lie. I don't cut my grass anytime. Now, it's not brought up in verses 1 through 12, but a third issue of grace that is brought up in the next passage, the latter half of Romans 14, and this is the one I've been sort of nervous about. Can anybody guess? When I say issues of gray, church folks, what's the first one you think about? Be honest. Drinking, right? Drinking alcohol. Well, twice. In the latter half of chapter 14, he mentions the drinking of wine. He does it in verse 16. Verse 21, he includes it as an issue of grace. And I just know that there are some among us that I love and probably love me that are extremely uncomfortable with my even mentioning the drinking of alcohol as an issue of grace. For some people, it's not an issue of gray at all. I'll tell you what, in the house I grew up in, it wasn't an issue of gray. It was all black. 
And my personal convictions lean toward that way. And this is not a fault of anyone who does it. It's simply a product of how I was raised and my own personal convictions. It's hard to get away from that. There's a a little bit of a level of being uncomfortable that I I have around it. And as I've been around it, more comfortable, but you're still not going to see me doing it. Now, I'm not going to do that anyway because I'm guessing that my enemies might use that to my demise. I do hope that the internet isn't working today because if my mama hears that I said that drinking alcohol was an issue of grace, my Christmas gift may not be the same this coming Christmas. (laughs) But while drunkenness is clearly a sin in Scripture, drinking alcohol is an issue of grace. Some people feel that we should be teetotalers. That is their personal conviction. That's a conviction that they share with others that we should not drink at all for numbers of reasons, good reasons even. Historically, Baptists, Southern Baptists in particular, have found this way. Although I've been aware of a number of Baptists who didn't know that about being Baptists. You know what I heard growing up was the difference between a Baptist and a Methodist? Methodist will speak to you on the way out of the liquor store. (laughs) But it's an issue of grace. It's an issue of grace. Some people are fine in their freedom in the Lord and considering other factors to drink from time to time. Many times in the privacy of their home with no one else observing it. It's an issue of grace. I'm convinced of it. There are others. How about gambling? Gambling an issue of grace? I can already tell for some of us it's not, is it? Black and white. But for others, it's an issue of grace. Hey, I was the head of the the Religious Liberty and Ethics Commission for our county one time. Leading the charge to fight against the legalization of gambling. I know all of the statistics. I know all of the facts, I know all of the arguments, I believe in some if not many of them, but I think you'd be hard pressed to find a specific passage in scripture that totally eliminates it. Now don't get nervous, I'm not a proponent of it. I can give you all of the arguments why people shouldn't do it. but I don't know that it's expressly forbidden in Scripture. Are there principles that should guard or determine how we think on it? Certainly. But I think at the very least, we would have to call it an issue of grace. Because of the negative connotations with 
gambling in Baptist life down through the years, cards altogether were outlawed. I'm not just talking about playing fake poker. I'm talking about rook, spades, cards are evil. They're the devil, Bobby Boucher. anymore but you go back a couple of generations and there were some folks in these pews who thought cards were the going to be the downfall of the whole world how do you feel about a raffle buying a chance at a ball game I sort of grew up with the, the feeling that it was gambling and you can't do it but some people are like, are you kidding me? I'm not looking to win $50 million. I'm supporting the band. I don't care if I win the four-wheeler or not. Our director of missions in Marengo County, close friend of mine, participated in, in my ordination, was a, a fantastic man and also a fantastic golfer. I played with him one day from the back tees at Linden, and he was 76 years old, and he shot 75. Tremendous golfer. Every day at 1 o'clock, the men at the country club got together, and they divided up teams, and they participated in a dog fight. And they'd all put $5 in a pot, and the winning team would win the pot. And Brother Gene played in it every day. Well, there were some preachers in the th association thought he was the Antichrist for doing that. And I always just sort of thought, hey, that's between Brother Gene and the Lord. Issue of grace. Let, let me bring it closer to home. What about going to our casino down the road for other reasons? To the movie theater there, to the bowling alley there, to the restaurant. In my personal opinion, it's just my personal opinion. There's nothing wrong if you want to go do that. But you're probably not going to find me there because the next thing that would be heard is we saw Brother Micah down at the casino. about tobacco I read a, a story from 50 years ago where Baptists in the south were lambasting Baptists in the north because the teenage boys and girls swam together and at the same time there was an article in the from the Baptists in the north that were lambasting the Baptists in the south because they all smoked you see, you, you better be careful what you're condemning because things can be found that condemn you. Have you ever heard of D.L. Moody, Charles Spurgeon? Moody went to visit the great preacher Spurgeon in England. He went to his home. He knocked on the door. He was greeted at the door by Spurgeon chomping on his cigar and smoking it. That he had dipped in brandy, by the way. Moody stuck his finger in his chest and said, I can't believe you being the great man of God that you are would smoke something like that. 
Moody was a fat man just like Spurgeon was and Spurgeon took his finger and poked it in his chest and said, I can't believe you being a great man of God like you are or fat as you are. When I was visiting seminaries to decide which one to go to, I went to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. I went in their main hall. They had a humongous painting about as big as that screen back there of their founding president, B.H. Carroll, a personal hero of mine, a great Baptist, a great preacher, a great theologian born in the state of Mississippi. And they asked, did we notice something strange about the portrait of Carroll? And when you got to looking, there was something strange. He was holding his hand like this, but there was nothing in the circle. Now, do you know what was in the circle? A big stogie. But they painted it out. In his day, everybody smoked them. There were days not that long ago where you might find the preacher outside smoking after a service was over. Spurgeon was once uh, criticized for smoking his cigars, and he was asked, did he consider it a sin, to which he responded, no. And they said, when would it be a sin? He said, if you smoked in excess. And they said, what would excess be? He said, smoking two at a time. Another gray issue. What about secular entertainment? Movies? Can you go at all? Which ones can you see? Should we see music? Do we always have to have our radio dial tuned in to the local contemporary station or southern gospel station? I hope not because I listen to 80s on 8 a lot. See, y'all don't know what 80s on 8 are, do you? I like 80s music. TV. What about dancing? Any of you Baptist closet dancers? Cheryl saw this was on the list today. She said, please don't talk about dancing. We like to dance. Most nights at our house end with us turning it over to a music station and being amused by our children dancing. And it is amusing. There are bootleg copies of Cheryl dancing in the house every once in a while. Most of us never have considered sports, participating in them, to be an issue of gray. But I have met, as I grew up over the years, people of particular faiths, people of particular denominations, who did not allow their young people to participate in sports at all, considering it to be worldly. That was completely foreign to me. Sports are sinful? You've got to be kidding me. If you don't like sports, that's sinful was the way I sort of think. Women's clothing. Can women wear pants? Well, I hope so, because some of you have got them on today. Should women wear makeup? Some people say yes, some say no. Jewelry. Hair. Can a woman have short hair? Some of you are going to be in trouble if that's in that new covenant over there now, ladies. Men's hair. Can a man have long hair? Can a man have facial hair? Everybody doesn't agree on this. Issue of grace. What about supporting non-Christian companies or anti-Christian companies? 
You know, we're always t- being told about some company we ought to boycott. I just sort of got into where, my goodness, where can we buy anything? Others are very strict about that. Real close to home. And look, we're going to stop after point number one today. You don't know how many points we have at all. I didn't put them on the bulletin, did I? But we're, we're about to be through. I told you we're going to take our time. Real close to home, issue of grace. Where to educate our children. How to educate our children. Now, every time I mention that, people get uncomfortable. But, folks, you've got to deal with the issues that are issues where you live. And there'll never really be any harmony until we admit that it's an issue of grace. There's no passage in the Bible that says this is where you ought to send your kids to school and this is how you ought to educate them. It's an issue of grace. What about the Bible translation that you use? You need to get me to tell you the story off to the side one day of the time I was in life, and I don't have my mic, so I've got to move back. The time I was in Lifeway Bookstore 10 or 15 years ago, and I was stalked by a man in the store for 30 minutes because he had heard me ask one of the workers there about a book called The King James Only Controversy. And after he stalked and stared at me for 30 minutes, then he came up to me and preached to me for another 45 minutes before I could get away from his crazy self. Final example, and look, we could do this for weeks, but, but I'll, I'll stop it here. There are lots of issues of gray. That's my point, right? Issues of gray include a number of subjects. How about this one finally? How to do our worship services. I challenge you to find me a passage in the scripture where there is a biblically outlined acceptable order of worship. A biblically acceptable list of hymns or choruses. A biblically acceptable list of instruments to be used in the church. Clothing. What's acceptable to wear to church? I've heard from a little boy that when we go to church, we ought to wear the best that we've got. Some of you feel that way. I've heard you say it but you're going to be hard-pressed to find it in Scripture. You know what that's based on? Those Old Testament laws under the Old Covenant about what the priest had to wear to perform their duties. There's no mention of it whatsoever in the New Testament. Now, if you want to wear the best you've got, great. I love seeing you men dressed up in suits. Makes me feel less conspicuous. I'm not as liberal as Glenn. I've got a tie on today. Glenn's sporting his non-tie this morning. (laughs) I only said that because he joked with me on the way in. Y'all notice some of our boys wear shorts to church on Sunday morning? If my daddy hadn't had a stroke last year, if he'd ever saw me wear shorts to church, he'd have had a stroke and made me have one too. But you know what? There's no verse that says they can't wear the shorts to church. 
It's an issue of grace. Music in the church is an issue of grace. Conduct in the church. Some of them want to be really informal in church. They, they crave that. They think everybody ought to be that way. Everybody jumping up and down. Everybody waving their hands. Everybody, hey, ho, oh. I mean, uh, the other people are like, man, that's sinful right there. You've got to be quiet in church. That's disrespectful. You've got to be serious in church. It's an issue of grace. You saw our children go out earlier. That's an issue of gray right there. And some of you have never given a second thought to children being separated from parents during a worship service, but there are well-intentioned Christians who are very opposed to that. Think that children ought to be with their parents in worship. It's an issue of grace. The point being that issues in gr of gray include a number of subjects. And that's just the first point, so you know we're in for a long ride, right? There are issues of grace. And as we make our way further in the passage, we're going to learn how to deal with them because they present challenges for our being unified, right? That diversity does. As we make our way through the chapter, here's the challenge for us all. Let's do what we learn. Let's apply what we learn. Let's deal with these issues of gray in God's way. Now, as I wrap it up, let me tell you about something that's not an issue of gray. The gospel. It's black and white. Jesus is absolutely Lord and Savior. The only one. We can only be saved through faith in him. That's the only way. No gray. All black and white. He has lived a perfect life that can count for you. He's died on the cross to take the punishment for sinners just like you. Sins just like you've committed and will commit. He's risen from the grave to conquer death. For everyone who will turn from their sins and trust on him for salvation. And if you have not, you should. Because you are a sinner and you're separated from God, and you need a Savior. He's the only way. You do not want to take God's punishment for your sins. You do not want to be separated from God and all that's good for all of eternity. So hear the good news of the gospel today. That through faith in Christ, you can be forgiven of all your sins and receive eternal life and be made right with God. That's not an issue of grace.